Welcome to the Hope Collective Message Podcast, where we find a confident expectation of a better tomorrow in the character and promises of God. To learn more about who we are, visit thehopeco.com. Here's today's message. Uh, Once again, my name is Mario Garcia. Um, Glad to be here with you guys this morning. Here we go. Settle in. Luke 10, verse 25 to 37. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what must I do to receive eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with an illustration. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes and money, beating him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a Jewish priest came along, but when he saw the man lying, lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt deep pity, kneeling beside him. The Samaritan soothed his wounds and medicine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn, where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two pieces of silver and told him to take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than that, he said, I'll pay the difference next time I am here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. It's the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Hope Collective. First service crowd. It's pretty full in here for first. Okay. We're doing it, first service. Well done. Well done. Uh, For those of you that don't know me, my name is... My name is Carrie Garcia. I have been on staff here and contracted and all different things in between for almost three years. In August, it will be three years that we decided to uproot our family from California and move to Illinois and be a part of this church. And it has been one of the best things that has ever happened to me personally. And I don't know how my kids feel about that, but uh, for me and my husband, it's been, it's been really, really wonderful. And, you know, as Steve mentioned, I have kind of had my head down uh, for about two years writing this book. And uh, this isn't a shameless plug because I'm not against that. Uh, but I, I want to tell you um, that this book was not written with the things that I brought from California to here. It was mined in the offices, in the conversations, in the trainings that I have done in these four walls. So when I tell you that this book means something to me, uh, it doesn't just mean something to me because I've been writing it in my heart for the past 
30 years. It means something to me that because I moved here and your graciousness and your willingness to look at things with maybe a little bit of a different perspective, what does it mean to hold a heart? What does it mean to ask good questions? What does it mean to love your neighbor? What does it mean to sit with someone that you disagree with, that you've given me platform to be able to talk about these things, practice these things in real time with real people in a real church? And that birthed this book. And so this book is not something that I just wrote. I believe that truly together, and I mean this in all sincerity, that we wrote this together. So I want to thank you. I want to thank you for the opportunity to get to write this by actually living it out with real people in real time. So thank you. And I will be selling them in the back. (laughs) Thank you also to my husband. That is my 100% better half. I married up in all ways. uh, And so he did not want to read, but because it's my birthday today, he said yes. I haven't gotten to speak here in a while because, again, head down writing a book. uh, And the day that I get to come back and share, I get to come back on my birthday, which just seemed like such a gift from God to me that was like this almost completion circle of all I've been doing this past couple of years. And so people were like, you know, Dave was like, you really want to speak on your birthday? You don't? I go, no, I would love to. That is, I would want no other place to be on my birthday than to share the word of God with my family. So thank you for being here today and getting to share and what God wants to do in our hearts today. It's going to be good. I have a lot to share with you. Again, year and a half not preaching to you. A lot of notes, okay? I highlighted the most important ones because I knew there was a lot. Uh, Let's pray. Dear God, I just thank you, Lord, for every heart, every soul, every mind that has walked into this room today that is eager with anticipation, God, to get a word from you, whether they have been distant from you or whether they have been in complete proximity. None of us come into this space without wanting a divine encounter of your Holy Spirit. So I ask, God, that your spirit would rest in this room, that it would be thick, God, in our hearts, that you would convict us because conviction moves us to change and invites us into holy ground. I pray, God, that it would rest on our bones, God, that it would motivate us to hear and to change and to walk away different. May we never encounter your scripture as it tickles our ears, but rather that it would go to the very marrow of our bones to change us from the inside out. We thank you, God, for this morning and what you are to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, I went to Hawaii, Maui, and I went with some friends, and they are the kind of people that are real go-getters, you know, like the geo-tracking type where they just want to get up and crush the day. And I'm more of like the, let's crush the afternoon. Do you know what I mean? And they had told me that there is this sunrise that happens at Mount, and I had to write it down phonetically, Haleakalia. That's terrible, but I'm sure it's somewhere going to land. And they said, if we get up at 3.30 in the morning, we can take a trek to the top of this mountain that we have to go with these people that are going to guide us, which that feels, if we can't get there on our own and we have to have a guide, it's not for me, you know? It's too dangerous. 
but they really wanted to do it. And these are the kind of people that like they get up, they've got their REI clothes on, you know, they're ready to go. They're like, the best part of waking up is just in your cup. And I'm like, I hate all of it. I hate all of you. I hate this situation. I don't want to go. And for those of you that are morning people, we cannot be friends. It's too much. I'm on vacation. I should not have to get up like I do with my infants. You know what I'm saying? But here I am, nonetheless. So they're all coffeeed up, wired up, dressed in all of their gear. I don't know what I'm in. I'm thinking, you know, is a bathing suit appropriate? It's Hawaii. Are we supposed to? Do I need to cover up? I don't know. I get in the car. We're driving up. It is pitch black. It's windy all the way up this hill. I'm in the back. I'm nauseous. None of this feels good. I could be home sleeping in my beautiful, luxurious, all-inclusive hotel. What have I signed up for? We're going all the way to the top, tossing, turning, spinning, winding, puking, all the things. We get up there, and it's pitch black. And there's a bunch of other knuckleheads there, too, that are all like, oh, my gosh, I'm so excited. And I'm like, don't talk to me. You know, I'm that person. I'm like, don't talk to me. Don't look at me. Don't breathe on me. Don't smell me. I don't want anything to do with humans. And I'm just standing there, and, I'm, and we're in this, like, little, um, like, observation kind of room, all these windows. And I'm standing there, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then I hear one person, like, it's happening. It's starting to happen. And I'm like, what? And just faintly, faintly in the distance, you see this little bit of light. And I'm like, in my head, this better be better than this. (laughs) And it starts to grow, and it starts to grow. Now, mind you, it has been pitch black. I can't see what is around me. I have no idea what is even in front of my hand. And as the sun begins to rise, I start to see the different variations of mountains. I start to see the clouds. I start to see the rays of sunlight come through. And I am going to be honest with you, my jaw dropped. I have never seen anything this magical, this stunning. It was like the original artist was just showing off for us. And I couldn't believe it. I have a picture here. Now, I took this off the interwebs. But I'm not kidding. It looks like that. I'm sure that's photoshopped, but that, it, like, that is how I remember it. And I was going through all the photos, and I picked that one because I'm standing there. Just imagine me right on the other side, and, I, and I'm looking at that, and, and tears begin to run down my face. Now, I've seen the sunrise. You've seen the sunrise. I've seen it rise. I could have seen it from my all-inclusive hotel. I did see it. Actually, that's not true. I didn't see it. I never got up that early. I don't know if I've actually ever seen a sunrise. I'm going to be really honest with you. That might be the first time. But I could see the sunrise. But there was something about the trek and proximity to where I was to take in the fullness of what I was seeing. It was like the dimmer switch, something that had always been there that will happen the next day, every day. But in that moment, it's like the dimmer switch began to rise and it got brighter. And because I was in proximity to this place at the right place at the right time, this was a new kind of sunset. Now remember, sunset, always there. Every day, haleakalakalak, whatever that's called. Every day it rises. Every day you can see it. But you will never see it like that unless you are in proximity so that you can see it. In this way, in the fullness of what it was meant to be seen, you got to get there. 
but it is always there. When we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, I, I, I want to be really clear about something. In Galatians 5.21, I don't have it up there for you, I'll just read it. In Galatians 5.21, you know, we've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Here's the fruit of the flesh, and here's the fruit of the Spirit. And I get to talk about a particular one today. But I could not move forward without really us understanding why this scripture says what it says and why it's so important. You see, Paul is writing to the Galatians. This is all about faith and grace, the entire chapter. It's all about faith and grace. And he's talking to believers. So these are people who are already Christians, okay? He's talking to you unless you're not a Christian in here, and we should talk, because Jesus is wonderful, and we should have that conversation. But he says here in verse 21, he says at the end, he's, he's giving the end of the fruits of the flesh, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. And then he says this, I am warning you about these things, as I have warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And when we read that, oftentimes, we hear that going, oh man, I don't get to go to heaven. If I don't do these things, I'm not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And we take this completely out of context, and we don't see it in the context of what it's being written. That is not what he's saying. What he's saying is that you're at war. You have your flesh up in you, and you got your spirit up in you. And we know this because of a little conjunction, and the word is but. Because it goes on to say, but, the fruit of the spirit. And the but means that this lives in you, but so does this. And this is so important because the inheritance that you receive on this side of heaven is the fruit of the Spirit that can live and grow just like the dimmer switch, just like the sunrise, when you are in proximity to God, not just living in the Spirit, but walking in the Spirit, it gets brighter and brighter and brighter. But so does the fruit of the flesh. What we feed, it grows. But don't underestimate or think for one second that any of the fruit of the Spirit does not live in you currently. And there are moments where you've experienced some of the fruit of the Spirit. Some of us, more the fruit of the flesh. Am I right? Amen? I am too. But it's there. It's there. And this is what I want you to understand because I'm not preaching to you to convince you to exchange one thing for another. You can't. It is a supernatural exchange that begins to happen through repentance and proximity. You got to go the right way and be near. I got to get in my car at 3.30 in the morning, go up the hill. That's repentance if I ever felt it in my life. I got to go a different way and get to where I need to get, not because the sun won't rise if I don't. It will, but I won't get the fullness of it unless I turn and go a different way and be close to it. So we're going to talk about today kindness, because that's my word today, which I love that word. Let me be very clear what it's not. Kindness has nothing to do with niceness. Niceness is passive. In my opinion, it's a trauma response (laughs) where niceness has overplayed because kindness has been assaulted And so we shut down and we just become nice. Even when we're nice or we're kind, if it's not motivated by the Spirit, it has an ulterior motive. There are very kind people in the world that are not believers. Some of them are more kind than you. Probably no one in this room because we're amazing. Hope Collective. Go team. But every other church, right? (laughs) They might even be kinder than you. 
and yet they don't have God. Well, then how can they act kind? All kindness, niceness, without motivation by the Spirit of God is motivated at some level by self. It's just where we are. It's not to condemn you. It's just, let's just talk facts. And so when we look at kindness and we look at spiritual fruit of kindness, we have to define what it is and what it isn't. It is not passive. It is not nice. Kindness is fierce. It stands in the face of oppression. It protects and defends for the, for the oppressed and the ostracized. It provides, it is disruptive kindness. Kindness leads us to repentance. Kindness has action motivated by selflessness. This is kindness. And the truth is, it is unattainable through man's effort. It is unattainable through man's effort. And even the kindest person in the world will have an ulterior motive. Again, not to condemn you, to free you that you actually get to go, I don't have to work out my own kindness. I don't have to do it. In fact, when I am in proximity and repentance, the exchange just begins to happen. And I do things I never thought I could do. I love people I never thought I could love. I was in a conversation with a woman not too long ago. She was uh, not very nice, (laughs) saying some cruel things about me things that were not true. At least I checked my heart and they didn't seem to be true. And she was talking to some other people about me. It wasn't good. And my team was like, we done with her. And so I prayed, God, and give me, this is a good story. Most of the time I have bad stories. I'm going to share the good one with you, okay? Most of the time I'm all up in my flesh, okay? Let's just be real. But I prayed and God said, show her kindness. What does that look like? Not false niceness, not passive, not writing her off. The kindness was a conversation on the phone that lasted almost two hours that talked with her, that reached to her heart, asked her questions, because I knew what she was upset about honestly had nothing to do with me. She's been so wounded and so hurt in the church and in her family that she just lumped me up with all of her other abusers. That's what happens when we've not actually seen the opposite. And so as I talked with her, as we worked things out, as she said things that I know aren't true, I thought, do I need to be right or do I want restoration here? It doesn't matter. I can love her. And I spoke truth. And I spoke honestly. And I spoke with love and with care. And by the end of this conversation, we ended. And she wrote me a text. I'm so thankful for this conversation. I just don't think I ever have dealt with someone who's actually said sorry, and I don't know what to do with that. I said, that's okay. It's going to take some time. You have a lot of marks, but I'm here because God's asked me to be here so I can love you. And she just said, you know, thanks or something. I don't even know, like heart emoji. So I want to look at a a point in scripture. When we look at the essence of kindness, if we look, if you have your Bibles, and by the way, can I just, you need to have your Bible. 
And I don't say this to judge you. I say this because, please hear me, I can say things now. I'm almost 50, and I can get away with things because I'm older. We are programmed to read this much of something that is on a screen. And when we only read this much, we actually are subject to whatever the person that's putting it on the screen wants us to believe, rather than the context and the way that God wrote it. So you will be subject to many people misguiding you, leading you down paths that you don't want to go down, confusing you. So you got to read the word. you got to bring it. you got to have, I don't know about, you got to open it. Bring it to church. And it's not because I'm 49 that I'm saying it. I would say this in my 20s. I would say this in my teens. I'm so thankful that I know how to read the Bible. And I just felt the conviction of saying, I, th- I think we've gotten, again, not this church, every other church, a little lazy when it comes to proximity. We've settled for counterfeit proximity through a screen. And not that God can't move through a screen. But to be in the pages of his word, I promise you, it will change the way you read it. Okay, I've said enough, yes? I'm crying too. All right, listen. I don't mind if he stays. Um, We can do babies. Luke 10, 25, verse 37. You know this story. Like literally, it's the most known parable in all the world. Okay, we have like hospitals named after it. We've got like, you know, a a, a nonprofits named after it. We use it all the time. I'm just trying to be the good Samaritan. It's like, okay, what does that mean? And I want to break this down a little bit through the grid of what it means to be kind. As you see the story, here's a lawyer. He comes to Jesus. Uh, Jesus is teaching and he goes, hey, Jesus. What do I got to do to enter the kingdom of God? Which I love that question because don't we do that? Hey, what do I need to do so that I can get in? What do I, how many boxes do I got to check? What do I got to wear? How many church services do I have to, how much of the benevolent fund do I need to give to? Whatever I need to do, just tell me so that I can do it so I can get in, right? So this is such a normal question and we ask it too. I counsel people all the time and at the end of our conversation, they go, okay, so what do I need to do? I go, you're you're doing it. Yeah, but can you just give me, like, what's my homework? And I'm like, to sit in your pain. And they're like, I don't want to see you anymore. (laughs) So Jesus responds, well, what is written in the law, he asks. And he says to him, as you heard Mario read, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus, I love it because Jesus is sometimes savage. He just said, well, you answered correctly. Go do this and live. And he was like, well, wait a minute, let me get some clarity. And the lawyer says, well, because he wants to justify himself, who exactly is my neighbor? And don't we find it ironic he didn't ask, what does it mean to love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, and all my strength? No, he didn't ask that part because as a pharisaical lawyer, he goes, I got that. (laughs) I am doing very good at that. And I just want to clarify and make sure I'm doing really good at loving my neighbor too. Because this whole situation of our conversation is making me look great. And Jesus goes, well, let's talk about it. Who's your neighbor? So he begins to tell the story, as we know, of the good Samaritan. 
So a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. Now, really quick, you need to understand this because I love breaking down scripture and this is why we should read it. So Jerusalem is considered where God lives. Like that's where his presence is. Okay, so this man, and Jesus doesn't say anything, he doesn't just throw out things for nothing. There's always reasons that Jesus says everything. He doesn't say a lot, but what he does say, listen. Like get your popcorn out and be like, okay, what's, what's happening? He talks about Jerusalem and how this man leaves Jerusalem, the holy place of God, and is going to Jericho. Now, Jericho is cursed land per Jacob. Jacob has cursed Jericho. This is a bad place to go to. So he has left the presence of God, and now he is subject to a cursed world. This is what this robber is, this this man is doing. And then all of a sudden, he gets beat up. Ever been there? (laughs) A little beat up by life? You leave the presence of God? You step into a cursed land, and all of a sudden, the enemy has his way with you? Hello. Everybody's raising their hand in this room. And he gets beat up, and then all of a sudden, as he's beat up, left for dead, along comes this priest. And the priest sees that he, he doesn't know if he's dead or not, he just sees him lying on there, and he's like, eh, crosses the street. A Levite does the same. Both of these are religious elite. And they cross the street. And now, they get a bad rap, Okay. I don't know their heart. They could have felt sad. They could have been like, oh man, that poor guy. But you have to understand, religion keeps them from actually engaging this man. Because if they touch a body that is near dead or dead, then they have to go through all kinds of religious rigmarole. So their religion actually keeps them from loving on this man. So they get a bad rap, but really they're just obeying the law. They're just doing what they've been told from year after year after year. We go, that Levite and that priest, what jerks. And then comes a Samaritan, the most despised, yes? The Samaritan comes, he sees the man lying there, he offers him care. I love that the Bible says it offers him oil and wine, which we'll get to in just a second because that's weird. If you've got a bunch of wounds and someone just starts pouring oil and wine on you, you're like, hey, can I just get a Band-Aid? Like, I'm gonna, I don't really need that. But remember, Jesus doesn't just say things. He says things for purpose, right? And so the Samaritan gets taken care of. He gets bandaged. He brings him into a place where he can be tended to and his wounds could heal. And then he says something very important to the innkeeper. He says to him, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna leave you some money. I'm gonna go. And here's the command. Take care of him while I'm gone. And when I return, I'm going to give it back to you, whatever you have given. You see, when we look at this scripture and he looks down at the, at the lawyer and, and he looks at the lawyer and, and, and he says, so lawyer, which one's the good guy here? He goes, well, the one that showed compassion. And then again, Jesus says, all right, go and do that. Here's the problem is that as a Jewish leader, to love your neighbor is really to just love your tribe. It's to just love your neighborhood. It's to love just Jewish people. And what Jesus is challenging him with is with a standard that is unattainable. He's saying, go do this. And somewhere inside this lawyer, he knows, I fall short. I can't measure up. I can't do it all. 
And I want you to understand the layers of this story because it applies to us. Because when I look at the good Samaritan, I actually don't see myself as the Samaritan. I see myself as the one that has left the presence of God, has been beat down by life and needs the good Samaritan, Jesus, my father, to come alongside and begin to bind up my wounds. But I am torn because religion tells me to stay away from the brokenness of the world, the despised, the ugly, the almost dead. It's too much. I'm just going to stay in my religious box. But where my heart goes to is the fact that I know what it feels like to be in a cursed land, beaten up by life, and need a Samaritan, the despised one by the earth, to come and care for me. You see, Jesus was actually later on in scripture, called, you must be a Samaritan. You are the despised one. This is what they called Jesus. And I would venture to say that somewhere in this scripture, as Jesus, or the Samaritan, is pouring oil, which is often referenced to the Holy Spirit, and wine, which is often referenced to blood, that he is covering him, the blood of his ultimate crucifixion and the power of the Holy Spirit and then takes him into an inn and gives a command. You see, this command is take care of him while I'm gone. And I wonder, church, if we aren't the ones that in this space are the end, that Jesus is looking for the, the wounded, the ostracized, the ones that no one wants to talk to and no one wants to sit with and his love and his kindness through us ministers to them and he brings them into this walls. And I wonder if Jesus is looking around going, will any of you take care of them while I'm gone? Oh, don't worry. When I come back, I will give it to you in full fold. In fact, the Holy Spirit will work through you in kindness and goodness. And as the fruit of the Spirit comes, you'll be able to love the ones you never thought you could love. But I wonder how many churches Jesus goes into looking around. Will anybody take this man that I have cared for and take care of him while I'm gone? You see, kindness, kindness is disruptive. It's interruptible as the Samaritan is walking down. Jesus interrupted as he's sitting on the throne. God says, this ain't good. We're going to have to send you. Interrupts his whole life to enter into our broken, cursed land and finds us almost dead on the side of the road. But I think often we forget where we've come from. And if we're being honest, we relate more to the priest and the Levite than we'd want to name. It's easier to be kind with those that look like us and act like us and talk like us, that don't disrupt us too much that don't make us have to sit in our own worries and conscience. But that's just niceness. That's passive and it's weak. No revival will happen through a nice community. Revival will happen through a kind community where it sees the ostracized and it says, although this ruffles my feathers, 
and it takes me out of my path in which I'm going, I will pause because there has been a transfer of power where Jesus gives the example of his love to this broken down man. Now he says, I give you the denarii. I give you the money. I give you the power to speak in my name and love in my name because if it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance, then surely his kindness brought you to his feet and now he wants to work his kindness through you. But we're going to have to come face to face with the fact that we often want to cross to the other side of the road. May God convict our heart today, not for condemnation, but for invitation. Could you imagine if the dimmer switch began to grow and brighten in the power of the fruit of the Spirit in your life, and it just got brighter and brighter, and you were able to do things that were unthinkable. The person that talks about you, it doesn't hit you because you're God's. Because there's been a supernatural exchange and we are so committed to our own means to try to grasp at our inheritance. And what we do is grasp at vapor and feed unknowingly or knowingly the fruit of our flesh. Self-reliance, pride, even our own brokenness, becomes a place in which God can't use me. It's in you. What you will let grow will grow. What you feed will grow. What does it say here in Galatians? We go back to Galatians 5.25. And I love this part because he tells us exactly, I love when Jesus tells us exactly what to do. Just tell me what to do, see? How do I enter the kingdom of God? And he gives me all these impossible standards. And I'm like, well, great. I can't do it. And he goes, I know. Welcome. That's the whole point. That's the whole point, sweet lawyer and Pharisaical Pharisee and Sadducee and punk neighbor. You can't do it without me. That's why the law keeps you bound and that's why Galatians is so important because Paul is not speaking to the law anymore. He is speaking to faith and grace surrendered. So what does he say here? The last verse, I love this. In verse, uh, I don't have it on the screen. I was not, I got, I got real fancy. I got two things for you. The Good Samaritan and the picture of the mountain. That's all I had. And that is a lot. I never put anything on a screen but I wanted to please Alex, so here we are. <laughs> are you happy? Are you pleased? Okay, thank you. All right. It says here in Galatians 6 or 5, uh, verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, okay, remember, you already live by the Spirit because you have the Spirit in you, okay? Let's just, anybody in this room that has Jesus, it's very important for you to understand this. I know it seems like it's semantics are not important, but many will tell you, that you're gonna, if you're messed up, you're gonna, lose, you're gonna lose your salvation. It's not true. You are owned by God. The moment you ask Jesus in your heart, you are owned by God. You are his child adopted. He cannot unadopt you. But you do have a choice of what will get brighter. 
So he says, when you, if you live by the Spirit, if you, meaning if you're a believer, if you have the Spirit in you, now hear this, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. What does this mean? This means proximity and repentance. Repentance is I'm constantly coming back to you. The moment you came to know Jesus, you were justified by the blood of Jesus. And the moment you go to heaven, woo, we're going to be glorified. I am going to eat carbs. I am going to just dance in whatever space I'm in. Even if it's in a Baptist church, I'm going to do it because I'm glorified. I'm all good now. But there is a process called your sanctification, which means, as Paul says, you are in the process of being saved. This process is the dimmer switch, okay? It would have been so cool if I would have done something with the lights, but it was too much. It's too theatrical. But as the dimmer switch begins to grow, this happens by keeping in step with the Spirit. And you go, well, that's too hard. It's, it's, I, I can't do I can't keep in step with them. Carrie, what does that mean? And you go like this, how many times do I have to read my Bible? Is that in step? What if I come to church three Sundays out of four weeks? Oh, I mean, that's pretty good. <laughs> Is that keeping in step? Is keeping in step, I have a 20-minute quiet time, and two of those minutes, I don't talk. <laughs> Contemplative prayer, spiritual formation. Is that, is, that, is that what I need to do? How much money do I need to give that helps me be in step with the Spirit? We have missed it, friends. This is about your willingness to get up at 3.30, not metaphorically, <laughs> to get up at 3.30 and take the travel God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? I just want to be near you. I want to see the fullness of who you are. Put me in that place. So for the month of June, I did not read my Bible. I, maybe I'll be fired. I don't know. I didn't read my Bible. Because the Lord just was like, you don't need to read your Bible right now. You know what I did? I spent a lot of time outside. I spent a lot of time outside looking around, and I've gotten really into flowers. Nothing of me wants to plant them or grow them or do anything with them. I just want to look at them. So I went to Sweet Ellie's house, and I got to see all of her flowers. And she's like, I could teach you how to do this. And tongue-in-cheek, I go, okay. I'm like, no, that's not. We'll be friends, but I'll just come to you. And if you ever stop to look at a flower, it's pretty amazing. I mean, they're not just like one color. Like there's like multiple things going on in a flower, a simple flower. And I know this makes me a very strong Enneagram 4, but let me tell you. I'm amazed. That's proximity. And you know what his creation has done for me? It's helped me go, oh God, may I repent of the things that don't matter this doesn't matter. In the past few days, I've had to repent quite a bit. So there's some stuff that's been stirring up in me. So I went away and I prayed. It's still there. I rebuked the enemy. It's still there. I'm all wrestling up with my flesh. It's there. I'm naming it. I can see it. I'm like, God. And all I just keep doing is coming. I'm going, why isn't it gone? I even told some friends so they could pray for me. It's still there. Wake up. Three days in a row. And then one day... It was gone. 
because repentance and proximity works. It just might not work in your time, but it works. Because there's nothing that beats proximity to the rising of his spirit. Nothing that beats it. Even though it lives within you, without repentance and proximity, it cannot grow. Kindness will always be niceness unless it's motivated by the fruit of the spirit, a supernatural exchange. My kids went to camp a couple weeks ago or last week or I don't know. And they came back and I go, how was it? You know, as a parent, you're like, come on, God, move. Just let it be a holy encounter. Let them like follow the spirit fall on them, you know? I want it all. I'm like, give it to them all. I don't even care. Have it be this encounter where they're just like speaking in tongues and going crazy. I don't care if you don't believe in that. But when you're a parent, you're like, I give it to them all. Just give it to them. And they come back and they go, I go, how was it? And they go, you know, the speaking, it wasn't great. The worship, it wasn't great. And I was like, oh. We're sitting in the car and I said, man, guys, I'm so sorry that it just wasn't that great. And Rocco said, oh no, mom, it was really great. Because I found myself, and he gave the example, I found myself, I had two cups in my hand because I was thirsty and there was an extra cup. And I said, does anybody want this extra cup? And two girls raised their hand and he's like, so I just gave it to them. And then I just went and got my own. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking this is so small. But for him, he goes, Mom, I would never have done that before. My daughter was during worship. She saw one of her friends across the room crying. And she was having a moment with the Lord. But in that moment, she just said, Mom, I just went over there. And I, I just put my arms around her. And I didn't know what to say. And I didn't know how to pray because I'm 12, you know. And, and so I just stood there and I just, I just hugged her. And I got a text from that girl that said, I just want you to know. Your daughter didn't know what was going on, but her hug ministered to me. My older son said, oh, mom, when we were doing something, playing games, all the guys were hanging out in the cabin at night, but one of my friends was in a lot of pain and I didn't know what to say. My son has a man of very, very few words, not an emotional person, but he said, I just stood there because I just knew I needed to be with her as she wept. And I looked at them and I said, guys, that's the fruit of the Spirit. That's the fruit of the Spirit. You see, even though the speaker wasn't great, the worship wasn't great, the Spirit of God was there. And when you're on proximity to the Spirit of God and you're surrendering your life because you're selfish teenagers, the dimmer switch gets brighter. You do things you never thought you could do. You love people that you never thought you could love. You sit with those that five years ago, two years ago, one day ago, you turned your nose at and you choose to go to the other side of the road because you realize God has asked me, take care of them until I come back. And now, the flesh is decreasing and the spirit of God, the kindness of the Lord that led you to repentance is the very kindness that will work through you to lead them to a place of repentance, a place back into their father's arms. I'm gonna ask that you just take a minute, close your eyes, 
And just ask yourself this question. We'll close with this. Is there anywhere in your heart right now that you need to repent? Remember, repentance isn't for shame or condemnation. It's for invitation back to the party, back to the arms of Jesus. That says, God, I want to take the road less traveled. I want to come back to you because I want to see the sunrise. I want to see your fruit grow in me. Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd speak to the hearts of those that, that know that there's these places of their flesh that are keeping them bound, that are keeping them from the fullness of what you want for them. And the second question is, how will you seek proximity? How will you seek him? No matter how you come in this room right now, broken or elevated, ready or stunted. Proximity will always be the key. Without it, your flesh lives and it grows even when it's masked in good religion. So God, I pray for repentance to be the cornerstone of us moving back into your presence and that we would seek proximity with you and that you would speak right now to the hearts of those that are in this room. Let niceness die and kindness grow. May you exchange man's attempt at the fruit of the spirit and may you allow your spirit to truly be birthed and grow because it's already there. May we be in step with you. May we leave here, not with a good message that landed on our ears, but a message that motivated us because kindness has action. So may we be motivated by action, not by just good thoughts. We pray this in the name of the Father and your good Son who left heaven to intervene while we were in a cursed and broken land. And by the power of the Holy Spirit that offers our heart compassion, even when it thinks is unthinkable. Amen. You're dismissed. Hey guys, real quick. Have a seat for just a moment. <laughs> First of all, can we give Carrie a hand and say thank you for sharing with us this morning? <laughs> Carrie, I love how you used that word proximity and how us getting proximate to the kindness and goodness of God actually allows us to get proximate to the pain that we encounter in everyday life and actually bring the goodness and kindness of God into those places. So thank you for that. Thank you also for the months of work that has gone into getting your book together and giving that as an offering, an act of worship to God and an act of service to his people. And we don't know in this room what that took, but we are grateful and people are benefiting from the work that you've done. And so thank you for doing that. Thank you as your church for sharing that with us. So guys, as you're leaving today, out in the community corner, there's copies of Carrie's book. Go ahead and pick up a copy today as you leave. You are now dismissed. Thank you so much for being here. We will see you guys next week. 
Thanks for spending time with the Hope Collective. If you appreciated this message, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. You can also leave a rating or review, which will help other listeners find us online. Thanks again for joining us.